What about Vietnam? A podcast with Gary Newsom. The series where Curry talks with travelers about their experiences and adventures. Find out more about Vietnam from the people who have actually been there. What about Vietnam? Whether it's adventure, exploring the culture and cuisine, shopping, or just soaking up the sun. Let Carrie and her travellers pave the way for a magical holiday in Vietnam. What about Vietnam? Xin chào and welcome to What About Vietnam? What a week. Can you believe the news that has been coming through about Vietnam? It's staggering. I'm so concerned for Vietnam. I really feel for everyone at the moment. While the uh, the numbers in Vietnam have been focused largely on the north, and they still are, I think the rise in numbers in Ho Chi Minh City is where the the most recent concern is coming through. And um, uh, yeah, it's it's very hard to know. It's a watch and wait and see just how they can get on top of this as quickly as possible. But I have. Uh, every confidence that Vietnam can do it as they did uh, in the very early stages of the pandemic back in 2020. Look, um, just to give some context, I've got uh, the guests on this show which are going to really give you some industry perspectives. Gary Bauman and Hannah Pearson from the Southeast Asia Travel Show, they have their own podcast, and I was on their show a couple of weeks ago. And in that uh, show, I I was sort of reminded of just how important it is to get really good advice and to get it from experts. Uh, if you're like me, I'm getting a lot of information through news feeds and Facebook pages and Instagram groups and and all that chatter is out there. So it's very hard to to try and uh, feel like you're getting the right advice or the best advice. And so I'm really delighted to have Hannah and Gary on. In no way uh, in my show am I trying to give you COVID updated advice as in in the minute. It's just impossible to do and it's not really the aim of my show. The aim of my show is to give you the best possible advice I can get to you to help you make informed decisions about traveling to Vietnam in the future and so that you can hear from travelers from their own perspectives. And today is just going to give you that extra industry information. We're going to talk about vaccination rollouts in Vietnam. We're going to talk about visas. We're going to talk about domestic versus international. We're going to talk about just how Vietnam uh, gives priority to their own residents, similarly to all of us. But with a population of nearly 100 million it's a big deal for them and it's going to be a big de- deal to get the vaccination rollout there. So a lot to be revealed in this uh, program today. I know you're going to love it and uh, and I'm sure Gary and Hannah are really going to give you some insights you may not have thought about. Stay tuned and please welcome Gary and Hannah to the program. Welcome, Hannah and Gary, to the What About Vietnam podcast. Hey, Gary. Thanks for having us. Look, I'm thrilled to have you on the show to get a travel industry perspective. Our news feeds fill up hourly with advice on COVID, 
travel restrictions and latest outbreaks. It's hard to keep up and to know what source to trust. The media is driving much of the information we consume. As hosts of the Southeast Asia Travel Show podcast, I know you both are heavily involved within the Asia-Pacific travel and tourism industry. Gary, I know, is closely monitoring the situation in roles working with the Mekong Tourism Advisory Group, leading hotel groups, tourism boards and online travel agents. Hannah, you provide a very influential weekly report tracking the impact of COVID-19 on the Southeast Asian tourism industry and working hard within the industry tracking trends developing within the Southeast Asian and Muslim travel sectors. I'm sure my listeners are going to be very keen to hear your take on how this region is shaping up as a whole and what's in store for travel in the second half of 21 and beyond. So without further ado, and I'm not sure who to throw this question to, so guys, feel free to to jump in as you see fit. But when you think of Vietnam, what springs to mind first, given the current state of affairs, re-travel, uh, and, and also their stellar record thus far? Maybe I'll go first then. Um, so I think the thing that really stands out for me about Vietnam is just how efficient they have handled everything so far. Um, so to date, and I checked out the case numbers this morning, um, they've, they've had less than 6,000 new cases since the beginning of this thing. And that, that is, for me, super impressive, um, especially when you look at countries yes. like Indonesia, Philippines, who have crossed the million mark. Um, and they're countries with a you know similar population size. They've also got a lot of people, but Vietnam has somehow um, managed to really control this. And I think a lot of that comes down to how fast they react. They react very fast um, with pretty strict measures, but those seem to be working. And what we really saw last year, I think, was they were one of the few bright spots in terms of domestic tourism in the region. Um, their domestic tourism was really going somewhere. Um, I think when it comes to 2021, things, I'm not saying that they're falling apart. There's this, <laughs> then they're not at Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines levels, but we have started to see more increases, um, more frequency of um, surges, right? So right now Vietnam is in this fourth wave, I think it is. And each time they're getting a bit more complicated. So this time, I think they couldn't really track necessarily where they come from. There's lots of different origins. There's lots of different variants at play as well. Things are getting increasingly difficult to manage. But, you know, things still seem to be fairly under control right now. I, I would agree with everything that Hannah said. I think it, it's certainly last year, as you say, it's been a little bit more difficult now because the, the variance of this virus and its transmissibility across Southeast Asia is proving very, very difficult. And Vietnam is just one of the countries that's really struggling right now. But certainly last year and, and early part of this year, I'd say that Vietnam was the closest to China in terms of the way, the speed that it actually responded and the way it closed down local outbreaks, tracking and tracing, very, very strong um, pro, pro focus on that, which is something we haven't had here in Malaysia. Um, and so I'd say that Vietnam's success was the way that it just responded incredibly quickly to each outbreak. You mentioned there the economy, which is a very, very important part. And that's one of the reasons that we've discussed on the podcast about will Vietnam reopen? When will it reopen? And there's, there's a sort of school of thought that says it doesn't really need to reopen yet because it does need to protect that economy. And it also needs to make sure that uh, it keeps um, everybody safe and secure, 
keeps the economy moving because of investment. I don't think there's any doubt that when COVID is, is, is done and gone, the two big investment destinations in our region will be Vietnam and Indonesia. That's already happening anyway. That's where international investors right. are looking for the future. You know, a lot of the investment you already have in, in the north of Vietnam is companies that were operating in China and have actually diversified some of their operations out of China into, into Vietnam for a number of reasons. And that will continue in future. You know, the, the, the economic prospects for Vietnam should be pretty strong in future. The fundamentals are there. But I, I 100% agree with you, Kerry. It's a really difficult balancing act right now. And I would say that international tourism probably isn't the highest priority. It's, it's, it's protecting people and protecting the economy. Getting on to like a bigger picture thinking, what do you think are, are going to be, just from your observations, the biggest changes in the way we travel? You know, do you think there's going to be some things in the way we travel that are going to be temporary or short-lived? Um, or will there be some that are going to be permanent fixtures? That is the million-dollar question. Uh, we get asked it all the time. We ask ourselves it all the time. Um, I think one of the, a lot of the work that I do, uh, and particularly over the last year when travel has been paused, essentially, is that I work a lot in consumer economies. So Vietnam and Indonesia are the two economies that we look at mostly. And we've looked a, a great deal at the way consumers have behaved over the past year. There's been great change. You know, we, we, we read these, these media stories about everybody's moving online. People are buying certain products online that they didn't buy before. They're buying more of other products. But there are a lot of other behavioral changes as well, particularly in terms of the way consumers respond to media campaigns, the way they respond to video campaigns. Lots of things have changed over the past year. And you notice, I mentioned before, that I think Vietnam and Indonesia are going to be the two strongest economic sectors going forward. So there's a lot of projections that are starting to happen. This is what happened in travel. When things start to go well, people start projecting 10 years down the road or five years down the road. I think with consumers, as with travelers, there's a great deal of uncertainty right now. You know, there, there could be a lot of the things that we're seeing happening now are just experienced during the, the pandemic because we, there's a lot of things we can't do. We are socially distanced. We, are, we have movement restrictions which come and go. We have the fear of the virus, which is a huge, huge fear. So I think in terms of what travel will be like in the future and the way consumers will respond in the future is a great unknown. And I think the travel industry itself is looking for all these ways to try and model what could happen in future. There are great unknowns. And I think anybody who actually puts the, the neck on the line and predicts this is, is making a big risk. This is something that Gary and I always say that we've, we've never seen so much tourism industry featured in the media in Southeast Asia and worldwide. You know, it, it's almost kind yeah. of the, I guess this is going to be the last thing that gets back to normal. So perhaps it's what everybody is focusing on, right? You know, oh, flights have opened up. People get excited about that because it's like that step towards normality. Um, yeah. I think one one big change that Vietnam has perhaps seen over the last year is this expansion of domestic um, flight networks. So um, we've seen airlines like Vietjet, like Vietnam Airlines, um, like Bamboo Airways add um, secondary tertiary routes linking different destinations that were perhaps never linked before um, to open those up and a lot more cooperation um, between provinces as well in terms of promoting one another and creating kind of interesting different routings. Um, and I do think that that is going to continue. I don't think that that will be temporary. I think once those routes are there and people see uh, that the markets are there, that, that that's going to continue. And typically Vietnam, they are brilliant at reinventing themselves. 
you know they they have such a an ability to to make an op- opportunity out of adversity you know there there'll be people that were selling one thing one day and will now realize that they need to go into something else because guess what the market's changed and their adaptability is just uh, is something to be admired and and we're seeing this everywhere in all the major tourist hubs in Vietnam where people were running restaurants one minute now they they've got you know an amazing takeaway business that will be their their new their new business moving forward and they just adapt and and move on i think there's um, there's an element of that i think the adaptability is absolutely true but i think that it's it's often underplayed just how much creativity there is in vietnam <clears throat> particularly in in the major hubs if you look at hanoi or or Ho Chi Minh City, particularly amongst young people, young creatives, young media, young fashion, young lifestyle, young music. They're really vibrant hubs right now. They, I've said this before on the podcast, that those two cities really remind me of what I lived in China in the early 2000s, and Shanghai and Beijing were going through a very similar competitive kind of scenario where there was a lot of creativity in Beijing, there was a lot of creativity in Shanghai, and they often played off each other. And you, you know, the nation was benefiting from that because young people were really at the forefront of creating a new lifestyle in many ways. And I see that a lot of uh, parallels with that in, in Vietnam right now. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to a girl, uh, we were talking about Saigon during 2020, and uh, she was talking about how entrepreneurs literally who were found themselves stuck uh, in Vietnam during 2020, we were all locked down, but these people were on the spot, putting together small events, DJs also found themselves and musicians found themselves in Saigon. So they were doing secret weekends away with these great, fantastic events. People decided to, you know, expand their businesses and there's been, you know, further development in craft beers and rooftop bars and people just kind of made the best of it in the best possible way. And, um, just turn their entrepreneurial heads. I, I just really admire them, the way they can do it. What did the industry miss as far as, you know, developments were concerned, you know, in their forecasting and, and feeding the media, et cetera, you know? What was the most overlooked development, do you think, uh, so far? I think a lot of it is is down to that cooperation um, internationally. I think we've really seen a lack of nations not working together with one another. I mean, we've certainly seen that, haven't we, with the vaccination uh, rollout and countries very much keeping vaccines to themselves. Um, but just in terms of, you know, you said, you know, everyone thought vaccines were going to be the the be all and end all. And nobody seemed to think beyond that, you know, what happens when you are vaccinated with vaccine certificates, are they going to be issued? Are they not? What format should they be? Should they be digital? Does it matter what vaccine you had? Does it matter the 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 length of time between these vaccines being administered, the different doses? Like there's so many different variables that and I this is one of my big bugbears that I'm always saying, I just don't know why people didn't think about this sooner. Um, you know, we yes. should have been thinking about that this time last year at the same time as developing these vaccines so that once the vaccines were ready, everything, boom, could be rolled out as kind of, well, not ne- things are never going to go smoothly, but, you know, as as fast and as efficiently as possible. But that's not been the case. Yeah, I would agree. I think 
the, the major developments in terms of how we respond to COVID-19 worldwide, but in Asia as well, has been, have been scientific. You know, so Hannah's a big advocate of, of testing, new testing protocols. There have been a lot of innovations in testing. We've seen saliva tests, breath tests, all these different kinds of testing protocols are available now. That, you know, the problem we don't really understand is that the travel industry wants to get back to the way things were, the way things were before. And that's scale, you know, that's big numbers. And that isn't going to happen anytime soon, even with vaccines. So there is going to have to be some kind of interim period where we allow people to travel again in a phased and staggered manner. That will inevitably involve removing quarantines. We have to get rid of quarantines if you're going to have people travel. This simply is a massive disincentive. Um, but to do that, you need really good testing and you need to make sure that it's robust, that it works, that it is accurate and it is verifiable across countries. And as Hannah said, this, this lack of integration and almost trust between different governments is, is just palpable mm. and getting worse, I think. Um, so yes. the, the issue we have is the science, the technology, much of it is there, but the bureaucratic side of things is, is, is stymieing everything right now. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought that up because that's what I'm seeing too, that cohesion, um, that transparency between countries, that sharing of knowledge. I mean, we thought that, you know, scientists getting to uh, be able to create a vaccine in a short, in such a short amount of time, that that was, that was sheer genius. And, you know, that was great cooperation within countries and, and sharing their expertise. But you're right, that, that they got to there, but then, okay, well, how were we going to verify that? Where was the credibility factor going to come in that you or me, uh, we, we are vaccinated with the level of vaccination that a country will accept us? Yeah, I agree. I think it, and it's a two-way thing as well. It's not, it's not just uh, vaccinations for travellers, it's vaccinations for residents at, at the other end. You know, you've got to have people feeling confident and safe and not wary of foreigners coming into into the destination for the first time in 18 months or two years or whatever that is. You know, there is going to be a changing mindset as well. And I think the other thing that this region is really struggling with at the moment is empathy towards people who don't want to have a vaccine. And there are many reasons why people don't want to get a vaccine. But, you know, governments are really sort of having this sort of hard view of, well, you take it or you don't take it. And there's got to be a better understanding of reasons why people don't want to take it and trying to cajole people rather than, you know, trying to use a stick approach. You've got to look at some yeah. carrot opportunities, I think. Uh, because I think one of the things we're seeing here in Malaysia is the vaccine roll is incredibly slow. And a lot of that is also because people are not turning up for appointments and in, in some cases simply just not registering. But there is a bit of a slow roll. You're starting to see that more people are, are encouraged when they see their friends or their relatives posting on social media that they're getting vaccinated. It's slow, but it does happen. I think there is just this, like you said, this idea that vaccines are a panacea and it will all happen within a few months. We're finding out that that just isn't going to be possible. It's not only this year, but it's what's going to happen next year and um, boosters. And, um, you know, I think a lot of countries see this kind of finite end to it. And um, it's not, is it? It's not all going to end once you've got to 70%. It's just going to have to keep going at least for another few years. And I think there's still not that realisation in governments yet that that's, that's the plan, right? You know, it's very easy for Lao to say, oh, we're going to reach herd immunity in 2022. But by that point, many countries will have already been on the, you know, the, they'll be on the booster doses mm. by then. They're not going to be just on the first first round of, of herd immunity. 
Um, and, you know, and that's how the narratives, you know, I, I can see going. It'll be like, oh, well, you had the, the shot back in 21. Um, you know, you haven't had the booster in 22. So, you know, does that make you then less of a good traveller or, or less of the ideal traveller? I mean, when I'm filling out my visa application to enter a country, you know, are they going to ask me when was you know, your COVID vaccination, you know, when was your last? And, you know, is there going to be some kind of algorithm will say, oh, no, cut her off because, you know, it's been 12 months since she's had it. She hasn't had the booster. And and all of this validation kind of stuff, I, I just see, you know, maybe my crystal ball's going a bit crazy at the moment. But um, I think that's a really yeah. good point. I, and you, that that often doesn't come up. Um, I've not, in, in the discussions I've heard about vaccines, you know, that when did you have your vaccine and does that actually impact your ability to apply for a visa? I've not heard much about that. I think it's absolutely true. All right. So I'm going to throw the real curly at you now because I'm going to talk about travel bubbles because uh, there's been a few that have burst recently and you know i've been watching very closely those travel bubbles that were on the table for vietnam i mean do you see travel bubbles still to be relevant and can you you know maybe um share what you're hearing that you know could be the the country matchups there in the southeast asian region Travel bubble is the word that we have been asked about and used the most uh, in, on our podcasts, <laughs> on interviews, everything. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a moving feast. I think, you know, if we go back, we always say, let's go back. Let's look at the origin of travel bubbles. And that was Australia, New Zealand back in April last year. It took a year for it to actually happen. But it was proposed by New Zealand uh, and uh, agreed with by Australia. But there were very specific circumstances about that. If you look at the two countries, very isolated geographically, strong travel flows between the two countries, manage the virus very well. There is trust between the two uh, populations. There a lot of people live in each other's countries. They work in each other's countries. They are very complementary in that sense. There's no borders as well. There's no land borders to, to get in the way. In Southeast Asia, we have very porous land borders. Um, so that, that was almost the, the kind of template for travel bubbles, but also I think it was the limit of travel bubbles. I just don't think they work in Southeast Asia. I don't really see how you can have travel bubbles across borders. They're not going to work. I think the idea that it has actually got up and running in Australia and New Zealand in recent months, you've had these slight pauses during that time, but generally it's working quite well. But even Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister said last week that they are really only a, a short-term expedient, that going forward it will be about vaccinated travel. And I think that's the way that the Southeast Asia will be moving in forward. The terminology of travel bubbles will probably continue to get used, but I think we're looking more. The reopenings that are being proposed are generally about vaccinated travel. Will they be within with specific markets? Well, possibly yes, possibly no, but I'm not sure that's actually a travel bubble. And as you say, that's because both destinations are looking at absolute numbers and they are worried about uh, extrapolation of numbers. But the problem with that is that doesn't really give anybody any confidence to travel, because if you know that you're going to be traveling to a destination where you could get trapped and you wouldn't be able to get back or, you know, you're going to have to stay longer than you hope for. Um, you know, a lot of uh, I was listening to a, a podcast with Tourism Australia quite recently. and They said one of the problems that the, the, the bubble with Australia and New Zealand is encountering at the moment isn't a fear of COVID. It's a fear of COVID outbreaks occurring in your home destination or where you're traveling to. 
and you're going to have to spend a lot longer in it, and, and it's going to cost you a lot more money. So that's the problem yes. with bubbles when they're not vaccine, not vaccine related, I think. Um, exactly. In terms of Southeast Asia, I think that the trust between countries is so low right now. Whether we're going to have bubbles between countries is, is difficult. In Southeast Asia, we're so reliant on the Chinese market as well. We're so reliant on uh, Japan and South Korea as well that, you know, those markets are so vital in revitalizing travel in this region. And without them, even if you have a bubble between Southeast Asian countries, you know, the way the economies are at the moment, the way the case numbers are, the way that the fear of the virus is right now, the, the actual travel flows will be pretty low. So if you're going to open a bubble right now in the region, you'd be looking at long-haul travelers. You'd be looking at probably Americans or Europeans. Um, and we don't really know how long-haul travel is going is to pan out right now. Um, so it's a very difficult situation. It's very difficult for governments. You know, governments do get a lot of criticism um, for the way they're managing this. But, you know, the other argument is that most Asian countries are being cautious and, and they are putting safety first. What do you envisage then for Vietnam for the second half and uh, first quarter of 22? I think in terms of domestic tourism, what we will probably see because of the, I wouldn't say the fear factor, but I think the uncertainty that's been created by this new rollout is I think we'll start to see more shorter trips, probably day trips, driving trips. I think we'll see a lot more of that. Um, perhaps in the last quarter of the year, confidence will will return and you might start to see people flying a little bit further domestically. But I think for the foreseeable future, there is going to be a bit of caution. Uh, I think the industry will have to build that in. Mm. And, you know, even for the domestic traveller within Vietnam, uh, the possibility that they could end up in 21 days quarantine, Mm. uh, that would have to be a serious consideration for them as well because they wouldn't get that time off, you know, from their jobs or, or, you know, they just wouldn't have the the luxury of time or money to do that. No. And so uh, I think they would have to make a very educated guess as to, you know, where they would go for those those trips. And um, it would have to be, you know, 100% guaranteed, I think, for them to feel that they're not going to get trapped in that. Because as you said, uh, Hannah, you know, Vietnam took very decisive action very early on. And um, if they even suspected for a moment that you could be a carrier or, or, or whatever, you were, you know, taken to the side of the road and you were tested or, you know, uh, you were put in quarantine because I was there in March 2020 and uh, there was, it, it was, it was decisive action and they're, and they're still doing it. You know, they will do on the spot fines in Saigon if you are not wearing a mask and they, they deem it, if they decide that that could be hazardous to people around them. So, yeah, it's uh, it is it is going to be uh, watching the clock. I I am concerned about the rollout of their vaccination. You're right, the population of a hundred million, uh, and in certain regions, how they would even get the vaccination to certain regions of Vietnam, uh, where they, you know, some people. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He said, you know, some people work on one side of the border and live on the other, you know, and so there's 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 cross pollination. Uh, happening there so oh, you know we, we could sit here and talk couldn't we for hours <laughs> <laughs> on this subject it's a full-time job let's face it it really is when you came onto our podcast a couple of weeks ago Kerry we we sort of threw a curveball at you and we said what about international travel when's that going to happen and you answered it very very uh, carefully and very very well Are you since you've been on podcast have you heard anything more what are people saying 
um, from, from your context about the, the likelihood of, of an international reboot? Uh, from Australia? Yeah. Yeah. No, from, no look, in terms of Vietnam, in terms of Vietnam. Uh, look, as I, I kind of intimated at the beginning of the show, the indications are to me that Vietnam will and doesn't at the moment have as a priority travel, international travel. Um, you know, for their GDP, uh, international travel, I, I think, ranges somewhere between, I don't know, 10, 11 percent. Uh, their manufacturing is going through the roof. Their uh, financial investment um, is going through the roof. So as a country, they're doing really well. So I just don't think they want to muddy the waters with international travel as dubious as it is at the moment. So it's not a problem. It is it is a problem for the future for us who want to go back and, uh, and travel. Uh, I think what I'm also seeing is, Vietnam working very hard at sustaining travel operators and travel businesses by incentivizing their domestic market. You know, if you've got nine, 96 million people being able to move around, uh, you've got a, you know, a, a very decent domestic travel market that hasn't really been nurtured in the past. I know, uh, Hoi An was, um, absolutely in jubilation with uh, domestic travelers during Tet because they had they had the old town to themselves you know it was back it was back to theirs you know we we weren't there there was very few expats uh, are still in Vietnam and and not being encouraged to stay I might add uh, I'm hearing lots of noise around people with tourist visas that um, are not being encouraged to stay or not being allowed to renew their tourist visa. So, you know, uh, it's 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 a really, as you say, it's it's a movable feast, that's for sure, and certainly keeps me in a, in a full-time role, as I know it does you guys too, <laughs> just to work out what next <laughs> and and try and give people the insights that you that you hear and you find um, with some level of credibility, knowing that it could change in a heartbeat. So, yeah. I, I, think, um, I think you really nailed it there. The, the, one of the, the most difficult aspects of, of kind of predicting or even looking at the way international travel will go in future is just this stop-start nature of domestic travel. Until domestic travel is, is on a more even keel, it simply isn't possible to, to consider international travel for a number of reasons, not just governmental but you know just the, the, the comfort and safety and the confidence of local people i think that is going to be absolutely vital in most countries how they in asia how they deal with this going forward absolutely look uh, gary uh, and hannah thank you so much for being on the show it's been a, a privilege to have you on given your, your busy schedules um let's hope our next chat will be about travel destinations opening up in the region and maybe thriving under some new sustainable travel models uh, just want to say thank you again. Thanks very much, Kerry. It's great to be on the show. Thank you for listening. Check out the episode notes for more information. What about Vietnam? Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review and stay tuned for more fun adventures in Vietnam. Vietnam.